to Sachiro's Boys. This is your co-host, Tim Amatuli. And I'm Chris Cote. We're back today talking about Kurosawa's 1960 film, The Bad Sleep Well, a.k.a. Scandal 2. Yeah, Scandal 2, obviously. (laughs) This is his uh, We Live in a Society film, once again, but his actual society that he actually lives in. Most of his movies are, they used to live in a society, but this one's about the society lives in. (laughs) This is the first film that he made as Kurosawa Productions. His own personal production company that he created, distributed by Toho, but not made by Toho. And for his first film, he decided he wanted to make something about some social significance, because he does a lot of movies like that. And he decided that corruption at the top was uh, the name of the game. It really does feel like he's going for it. He's like, this is going to be important. And you get that sense from the film. I don't even feel like since No Regrets for Our Youth has he tried to skewer government so highly. Yeah, he's really going off on government and the private sector. I like how, like, it was basically uncompromising. It was like, they're evil. <laughs> and Yeah, maybe he's a nice father, but he's fucking evil. <laughs> like, I was like, damn, like, no two ways around this one. <laughs> that does remind me of Scandal, because that was our thing about it, where it's like, these guys are extremely cookie-cutter, one-dimensional villains. They just make the press evil no matter what. Here, he actually shows the press to be, like, an equalizing factor. The only way of actually taking down any corporate corruption. The press is confrontational, but only in, like, a cheeky way. Yeah, but but the people at the top are, like, unequivocally evil. Oh, yeah. You don't exactly know how evil they are the entire film. At some point, I was like, all right, this is, like, nuance the movie. (laughs) Every single person has, like, four motivations and a backstory that relates to whatever. It's like, it's kind of getting ridiculous. But then by the end, you're like, oh, no, they're just evil. Yeah. (laughs) You You just thought they were complicated. Don't get it wrong. The Bad Sleep Well has another title as well, super long, called The Worse You Are, The Better You Sleep, which I think they, <laughs> I think they made the, be- the better decision by calling it The Bad Sleep Well. That's the same title, just said worse. I know. That's not even like Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It's just The Bad Sleep Well, The Worse You Are, The Better You Sleep. <laughs> also, it's like not, it's not what happened. <laughs> the Bad Don't Sleep Well in this movie. <laughs> I do think that this is probably my favorite Kurosawa title. I don't know why. Just for some reason, it stands out to me. I think it's a dope title. It is enigmatic. Yeah, it is cool. Even if it doesn't really make sense, in my opinion, (laughs) with the film, it's cool. The main idea here is, like a lot of Kurosawa movies, the world itself is evil. The only people that really can survive it are those that are bad to match it. And yeah, that comes through. But like the main villain had a lot of anxiety and didn't sleep well the entire film. It was a major plot point. And I was like, come on, like, <laughs> I don't want to be that pedantic. But like the movie title is the bad sleep. Well, the worse you are, the better you sleep. And this man's like a huge piece of shit. And the last line in the film is, yeah, I didn't sleep very well last night. I'm like, are we supposed to think he's good? <laughs> What's going on? But honestly, that was one of my relatively few complaints. We do have the first Kurosawa appearance of the iconic Ozu actor, Chishu Ryu, who's in, like, every single one of Ozu's films, pretty much, as the dad whose daughter is getting married. (laughs) (laughs) Another quick cameo appearance also by Sanchiro Sugata. I did notice that one. Oh, man. Susumu Fujita as the detective right in the beginning, and then he never came back. (laughs) I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, is he going to be, like, a main figure in this movie? I had no idea. And then he, not at all. It's so sudden, I, 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 like, I, like, choked. <laughs> it's also, like, unlike in The Hidden Fortress, where he looked like shit, he looked, like, really good. Yeah. <laughs> he looked totally normal again. I was like, what is this? I know, he looked like when he was a hot himbo leftist. <laughs> no risk for you. 
I get why he's bald in the Hidden Fortress because it's like a character thing, but he's like also just fat and his beard looks weird. But this one, he looked like Tor Normal again. I was like, oh my god, our boy, <laughs> our beautiful boy. He didn't even get to smile with his beautiful toothy smile. But oh well. <laughs> but yeah, but he's not in the rest of the plot. Let's get into it. Koichi Nishi has a plan to avenge the death of his father, who was forced to kill himself by executives of the public corporation. He has changed his identity and wedded the vice president Iwabuchi's daughter, Yoshiko. As corruption charges cause the company to order more suicides to silence their expendable staff, Nishi stops assistant to the chief Wada from killing himself and forces him into his plot. He begins framing and terrorizing contract officer Shirai, who is eventually institutionalized for his paranoia. Iwabuchi and administrative officer Moriyama become suspicious of Nishi and discover his true parentage, a fact spoiled by Yoshiko's angry brother Tetsuo. Nishi hides in the ruins of an old factory with Wada and his co-conspirator Itakura. They capture Moriyama and starve him into divulging his corruption, which will be revealed at a press conference the next day. Wada brings Yoshiko to Nishi and begins to understand the evils that her father has committed. Upon returning home, she is drugged by her father, Iwabuchi, and is tricked into revealing Nishi's whereabouts. When she awakens, she returns to the factory to find only Itakura, who details how Nishi and Wada were murdered. The public corporation's corruption goes undiscovered by the media. So yeah, it's a lot going on in this movie. Oh yeah. It's uh, two and a half hours. At some points in the film, was like, I feel like he's just adding stuff at this point to add stuff. Like the backstory with his father loving him, but also not loving him. I was like, oh, come on. So much has already happened in this movie. How can we possibly like get another backstory, <laughs> another character motivation, like two hours into the movie? I ended up liking that scene a lot, so it was okay. But certainly a lot happens in this movie. So the Bad Sleep Well has its origins in Hamlet, which along with Macbeth is Kurosawa's other favorite Shakespeare play. And it says on the descriptions and everything, it's a loose adaptation. And I guess that's true, but I do think that it does have a lot of elements of Hamlet that I think would take it a little bit above a loose adaptation and more of a reimagining for contemporary Japan. Yeah, I think that's better. Hamlet is such a long and complicated one. I think I read normally if someone does an unabridged version of Hamlet, it goes like four hours so it makes sense that if he's adapting this, turns into a two and a half hour long movie. He couldn't commit. It, I would say probably doesn't transpose as clearly from west to east as Throne of Blood does. But there are a lot of points to notice, such as the main character's father is killed by a man who becomes his second father, which is the case with King Hamlet and Claudius. And here is the case with Nishi's father, Furuya, and Mr. Iwabuchi. The initial motivation is revenge, but eventually his love for a woman tones down his anger a little bit, and that woman's brother is going to be instrumental in that man's own downfall, and so those are Ophelia and Laertes, respectively. There's also a Horatio-like friend, a Polonius-like mentor that the guy ignores, and there's the orchestrating of a play referencing the guy's own father's murder. In Hamlet, that's the murder of Gonzago, and here it's in the opening with the wedding cake. So yeah, so that's just some of the ways that it does connect directly. If there's any, you know, big Shakespeare Hamlet heads out there, just want to check out for it. Yeah, I had no idea that was like the story of Hamlet, because I'm an educator. But sounds like a really good story, actually. So we should start at the beginning with this insane wedding. I do think that the sequence is a lot because there's so much information and it is mostly stuff that's said. Yeah, it's, oh, this character, this character, this character. But it does set up everybody that we're going to need to pay attention to. I was kind of tired today and I started with that scene. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be rough. What the fuck is going on? 
you get introduced to like 15 characters really fast. They all have relations to each other that are really important. It feels like it's going to be the whole movie, but no. It basically centers around a wedding that's going on and a bunch of reporters who are like watching it with interest because there's some intrigue. And also police constantly coming in and just arresting people. <laughs> oh yeah, police constantly coming in and taking members. Police, including our beautiful, beautiful boy, Sinchero, coming in and just like taking members, including the MC. Apparently Wada was going to be the MC, which based <laughs> on the rest of the film seems completely insane. This man is completely uncharismatic and could not have been a good <laughs> MC for this wedding. I was like, this is actually the least realistic part of the entire film. The fact that Wada was supposed to be the good MC and then this guy replaced him as the bad one. People are dropping left and right. We got a lot of people coming in. We see Toshiro Mifune looking stout. And then we see Yoshiko, his now wife, who is limping. His wife who, like, is implied to be ugly, even though she's very pretty. It makes it seem like one of her legs is shorter than the other. They don't really elaborate on it, but they allude to her brother having something to do with her becoming crippled. What they said was he was riding his bike with her in the back seat, and then he, like, the bike fell over. And he, like, destroyed her foot forever. So that's all we know, is that her limp, which is related to her broken leg, is from her brother. And that's why he feels guilty, and that's why he protects her so hard. She kind of falls over a little bit and messes up the ceremony as it's happening. And especially in Japan, a ritual gone wrong is always a bad omen. So it is very fitting for the start of the film that's going to wind up being Nishi's incredibly elaborate plot of revenge. Nishi is marrying Yoshiko, who is Iwabuchi's daughter, yeah, Nishi, who is the secretary to the vice president of a building company, uh, Dairyu, is marrying the vice president's daughter, which is like feels like a conflict of interest, having your secretary marry your daughter and then live in your house. But that's what's happening at the beginning of the film. These people certainly commit worse. Yeah, they commit greater faux pas, like murder. So everyone's going through the motions. Takashi Shimura is there as Moriyama, who's one of the main people of the company. Looking like shit, not gonna lie, but I love him. You know, I felt like this was the most normal that he's ever looked. Every time he's been in like a suit or like modern day clothing, he's always really disheveled. Like he's like a drunk. Here, it was just like he's just a normal businessman who is just evil. I like that he is playing a villain this time. He's always a good character or extremely conflicted and has good deep inside him. There is no good to Moriyama in this. Moriyama is going to be behind some incredibly terrible things. Spoiler, when he's on the tape, like, just saying evil things, I'm like, this is so weird to hear Takashi Shimura's voice just say evil. The main people to focus on at the company are Iwabuchi, Moriyama, and then there is contract officer Shirai, who, I mean, really is one of the main characters for a large part of this movie until he is sent to, like, a sanitarium or something. He is more or less just shipped away after having a paranoid breakdown that Nishi 100% causes on his own. Yeah, he owns him essentially, you know, murders his psyche and then regrets not murdering his body, too. <laughs> They're going through the normal vows here. There's the weird, creepy brother. The brother is a fail son, like, certified. One of the earliest conceptions of a fail son. His dad is this, like, business magnate, and he just, like, doesn't have a job. He just, like, drinks way too much all the time. He gives a toast at the speech where he's like, Oh, man, I love Nishi. I also love my sister. And Nishi, if you break my sister's heart, I'll fucking kill you. And, he's <laughs> and then, like, there's an awkward silence. After Wada was arrested, Shirai is taking over the emceeing duty, and then they bring out the wedding cake, a normal-looking wedding cake, 
And then all of a sudden, in one of the coolest images from this film, they bring out a second wedding cake that was secretly ordered by Nishi of the office building, and it has a rose in the window of the office that another worker, Furuyu, supposedly, quote-unquote, committed suicide, Jeffrey Epstein himself. But in reality, everyone knows that he was definitely, like, thrown from that window and died. Yeah, we learned this from the reporters who were watching, and they mentioned it earlier, that five years ago, almost to, like, the day or whatever, this man jumped out of the window, and now, like, the same business deal is similarly shady. Events are repeating themselves. Yeah, there's another scandal going on with job bidding and having the price raised to get the company more money, and then there's kickbacks. The police have picked up a couple people, and as soon as these guys get out of prison, someone essentially leans in their ear and says, Hail Hydra, and then they have to kill themselves. Exactly what the lawyer says is, you will carry this through until the end, to one of the two people who was arrested. And the guy kind of just like winds his eyes and then immediately runs in front of a moving car. Which either means kill yourself, or you're never going to talk, and if you do talk, we'll kill you, so you might as well kill yourself anyway. He knows exactly what they're capable of, because they do send assassins after people in this movie. In between the wedding and all this other stuff, there is a really, really great scandal montage with all of the different sheets that I think does a good job of elaborating on the embezzlement scandals going on. The scandal is something more or less like public corporation, which I think is the government, but it's unclear. It was like, all right, we need to do this building project. And they like knew that it was going to cost $9 million. So everyone like was bidding $9 million to do the project. And then this other company was like, we'll do it for $12 million. And they're like, oh, we'll take you. We'll do that. And that's like very clearly corrupt. There's, like That's not how government contracts are supposed to work at all. And then we learn later that, that extra $3 billion was a kickbacks entirely for the company and the people involved in the business deal. For the top 1%, baby. That first guy kills himself by throwing himself underneath a military truck or something. But then Wada goes to kill himself in a way cooler way by jumping into an active volcano, which is so extra. Totally insane out of place scene. Suddenly you're just at the volcano and he's at the top. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I guess this is what he's going to do. But he gets stopped at the last minute by a man who's at first seen off screen, like with just his arms. But if you are familiar with Kurosawa's work, you'd recognize this to share him put in his voice. And then you realize that it's Nishi. Which is cool because he hasn't really been established. He's, I mean, you, if you're coming into this knowing it's a Kurosawa film, you probably know he's the main character. But he, he doesn't do too much in the beginning of the movie. He, he really is just sitting there stoically at the wedding. So Nishi is now essentially saying, they own you, so now I own you. Ahawada, please don't kill yourself. You're so sexy. Also, you belong to me. You're my slave. <laughs> you're my slave, and I'm going to psychologically torture you just like everyone else in this movie. Nishi is convinced that he's not a bad guy because they're the bad guys. But then he starts to realize like, oh yeah, I am doing evil. He realizes he's doing evil, but he doesn't think he is evil versus he thinks these other people do evil and are evil. He thinks he's doing it out of revenge, which he justifies. And he's right and justified. And I don't blame him for anything. <laughs> Go off. Kill fucking the like third least involved officer. In the deal. Nishi tells Wada not to kill himself. Then you hear that uh, Wada has killed himself. He has committed suicide and they're holding a funeral for him. Nishi brings Wada to his own funeral from a distance through the car. Yeah, which is so insane. Everyone fantasizes low-key about what it would be like at their own funeral, but this guy is not happy about it. Wada's like, this is the torture worse than death. Can you please just let me die? I'm already dead. But that's not what Nishi's about. He literally feels bad that the company spent money on his funeral and he's not dead. That's how in their pocket he is. He, like, he's so willing to literally just kill himself for a corporation this is really Hamlet transposed to a late capitalist nightmare. He watches his wife and daughter at his funeral, and he can't do anything about it. They just have to live thinking he's dead. He never sees them again. No, he doesn't. 
even though he's been alive for like the next several months. Wada, you know, he's such a beta that he never even breaks ranks from Nishi to go see them or tell them that he's alive. He is bold literally once in his entire life, and he gets killed for it. At one point in the movie, Itakura says of Wada, he's like, he's no longer human. He's a subhuman bureaucrat vestige of him for himself. <laughs> Hollow shell. This is a Kurosawa angry film in the same way that Scandal was, in the same way that I Live in Fear was about nuclear anxiety. And I think probably the best that Kurosawa has been when he lets his emotions get the best of him. Yes, I think it's definitely the most successful of those. Nishi drags this man to his own funeral and he feels like total shit about it. And then he's like, that's not enough. Listen to this. And he pulls out a secret recording he made the previous night at everyone's favorite bar, apparently called Noir, which is like a little hint to the fact that this movie is a noir. (laughs) And he also now lives with Iwabuchi because he's married to his daughter. So he has access to certain things or can eavesdrop on conversations. Yeah, this happens to be at a bar, which like he would have invited to anyway, I guess, because he's the secretary. But he has a secret briefcase that he hides under the table and the recording... It's Moriyama and Vice President Iwabuchi saying, oh, thank God Watt is dead. Oh, I'm so relieved. Like, let's let's have a drink, get a woman. Like, this is this couldn't be better. <laughs> Wada finds this extremely distressing, <laughs> understandably. Wada is going to transfer that distress from him to Shirai by haunting him because Shirai supposedly has some major connections to these suicides as kind of one of the up-and-coming executives who is tied to Furuya's death. He is supposedly the one who is one of the last people to sign off on Wada killing himself and the other dude killing himself. And now Wada is just going to do the least by just showing up on Shirai's block and then Nishi will turn on the lights on his car really bright and then he'll turn them off and Wada's gone. (laughs) He does that like three times. This is definitely like Nishi's plan, not Wada's plan. Step two, I guess, besides marrying the daughter is to gaslight the fuck out of Shirai. Yeah. (laughs) Gaslights him so hard. He's like, oh, the man you thought was dead. He's not dead. Oh, he's here again. Oh, he's not. Oh, lights. Oh, the money that you had, you didn't have it. Oh, there it is in your like bag. (laughs) Oh, no, he doesn't suspect him immediately at that point. Nishi has shown himself to be super loyal to the Iwabuchis and otherwise he would never have let him marry his daughter. But there is that great scene where someone has taken 5 million yen and Nishi has staged it in Shirai's bag. There's an entire Every Prima Painting episode about just that one scene and how it's done with like triangles and stuff, which is a big thing in this movie. Really well done scene of just Shirai continuously getting wrecked. There's like an extended scene where he goes to like a place where a suit is being held in a box and in the suit there is a key and he uses that key to go to a safety deposit box and then from there there's supposed to be a bunch of money but instead of the money there's just a postcard of the building with an X on the window. Yeah, the same one that was the wedding cake. It happens over and over again. Shirai is going nuts. He keeps going to his bosses and he's becoming more and more unhinged and they're literally like, oh man, this guy's crazy. Let's kill him. (laughs) (laughs) They invite him to dinner, apparently at the same exact place in which the dinner they told Furuya that he had to kill himself. And this is not lost on Shirai. And in fact, it's even not lost on President Iwabuchi, who says, oh, why do you invite him there? Like, it's so obvious. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. <laughs> They're so confident. He's like, oh, geez. All right, whatever. Let's go do it. And then they go and Shirai realizes that he's going to be told to kill himself. Though it's unclear if they were going to kill him until that scene, but definitely after that scene, they're committing to it. I think they were going to try and calm him down and not kill him at that point. But then he's so fucked up at that lunch meeting or dinner meeting that they're like, no, we got to do it. Because when Ibuchi says we're going to kill him, Moriyama is like upset. He's like, oh, oh, OK, like, I guess we're really going to do it. As far as I can tell, and I'm pretty sure about this, the plan wasn't to kill Shirai until he's just so nuts at that dinner meeting that they decide to do it. 
in any case, they drop him off at his home, the same corner that he's been a thousand times. He thinks he sees the ghost of Wada once again, but instead it's this, like, schlubby fucking idiot. <laughs> this, like, 25-year-old guy who, like, sounds drunk and really is, like, tired and not motivated. He's like, hey, are you are you Shirai? Shirai's like, yeah. He's like, all right. And then he pulls out a gun from his pocket. <laughs> What's that? It's so funny. I'm like, this is crazy. It is, like, the worst assassination scene I've ever witnessed. <laughs> Luckily, Shirai's so busted that he, like, can't do anything to stop it. He just, like, backs himself into a corner. But then it stopped, saved by the bell, the bell of Nishi's headlights, who essentially stuns the killer into just leaving, just walking away with the gun and being like, oh, well, guess I'm not going to get paid this time. Getting away scot-free, and then he's just like, get in, loser. We're going to take down this corporation. And in the back, he sees Wada, and there's like a 45-second shot of him just freaking out seeing Wada in the backseat. I love it, yeah. And in the midst of Wada and Nishi pranking <laughs> Shirai over and over again, we get to meet Itakura. And we learn that he is actually the real Nishi, and they switched identities as part of the plot to marry Yoshiko, so that there's no previous tie to Furuya, because Furuya turns out to be Nishi's illegitimate father. Or I guess Itakura's illegitimate father, but who we know as Nishi. There's one line that I want to get into really early on in the movie, right after Nishi saves Wada. Wada is at Itakura's apartment, and we don't know who he is yet, he's just some guy. And he's like, what's your relation to Koichi Nishi? And then Itakura, who is actually the man who grew up his entire life, as Nishi says, oh, it's uh, it's very complex and mysterious. I think it's so clever because he asks, what's your relation to yourself? <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's hard to explain. <laughs> and I realized that like afterwards, like, oh, that's so good. That's like a nice little line early in the movie. It was nice they have stuff like that because it is weird when Itakura shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, he like he showed up then and then he shows up again, still with no explanation. Part of me kind of likes this. It's just this random guy that is helping Nishi, and it's like, why is he helping him? But they, you know, every question that you have really does get answered yes. as the film goes on. That's what I was going to say. Every time I had a question, it gets answered immediately in the next scene. My question here was, why does Nishi have this ride-or-die friend who's, like, changing identities and doing the most to save his fucking ass and get revenge for his father? And we learned that they were, like, war buddies. Yeah, yeah, they were, like, bombed out together. And we learned that they did bad stuff, too, in order to get by. Like, they did similar stuff to what they're so mad at the corporate bigwigs for doing. As we learn more about them, kind of like Cop and Robber, we start to see these two different sides become more similar as the film goes on. I think that kind of stuff is all really great. And I've seen this before, like, four years ago or something. I really didn't remember much about it. But I did remember that Nishi's motivation was based in the fact that his father was forced to commit suicide. Could you guess that watching this? Was it a surprise when you learned about Furuya? So, unfortunately, I read the Criterion description like I always do. I don't think they say anything. And then like 30 minutes in, I was still so fucking confused as to who was what and what was going on. So I looked at the Wikipedia and like the Wikipedia tagline is like, this is a movie about a man seeking revenge for his dead father. And I was like, oh, well, that must be Nishi and his father must be Furuya. They ended up being fine, because we learned, like, halfway through the movie. I don't blame you for needing to check that. I was reading along with that same thing, because I just wanted to make sure I was getting it, because I was so overwhelmed in the beginning, especially. I didn't have too much to really spoil for myself. I remembered the beats, I didn't remember how it got from beat to beat, which was fun. It felt like watching it for the first time, for the most part, which is cool. But I, w I was like, oh, that sucks that this one twist is lost on me. I'm not sure how predictable it is. I feel like they bring him up too much for it to just be happenstance. So I feel like you could probably guess before they tell you. When they're trying to put it all together, at one point, Moriyama, Takashi Shimura says, You know, now that I think about it, there has been one thing related between all these strange events. 
He brought in a cake with a rose in the window where Furia died. He left a postcard with an X in the window where Furia died. And then Shirai was found in the room where Furia died. Maybe this has something to do with Furia's death. I'm like, yeah, you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> like, I was like, oh my god, like you're just realizing this now? We're an hour and a half in. <laughs> I was like, how, how can you possibly not have known that until this point? Earlier I was thinking, like, how do they not suspect Nishi if they killed his dad? But I didn't realize that they didn't know that his father, and that was explained, and that was fine. I think that for the most part, Kurosawa is able to cover a lot of his bases with some of the stuff because it is really complex and confusing. I do think it is a bit of a plot hole that he has this recording of the people like admitting guilt, essentially. He could just always go to someone and give them that. And that could, at the very least, create an enormous scandal for them that they wouldn't really be able to get out of. Like, he could destroy their careers at the very least. So it is. it kind of sucks that he always has a little bit of an out in that capacity, but he wants more than that. So it's okay. Yeah, but I guess he doesn't think that's strong enough. With Furuya's death, there is always the recurring image of the office building with that one office highlighted. Once Nishi and Wada get a hold of Shirai, they have one of my favorite scenes in the movie where they sneak him into that office building. It's lit almost entirely by flashlight as Nishi does a vicious interrogation of the guy. Similar to No Regrets for Our Youth. They had a scene just like that too. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, another thing that reminded me of it, definitely reminded me of that one office scene that was lit by like a desk lamp, cast that really cool shadow. They have the flashlight interrogation. At one point he says, do you recognize this window? And then we have the craziest music hit of all time. <laughs> Just like screaming violins for like 20 seconds as the camera flies up to the window and like zooms in on his face as he realizes what's about to happen. Totally nuts. Really cool. Yeah, he hangs him out the window. He's like, do you want me to do it? Do you want me to do it or do you want to do it yourself? Christian Bale Batmanson at that window. <laughs> Wada's like, can we please not, not do murder? <laughs> Another interesting little thing is, you know, he says, I have a wife and kid. Shirai also has a wife and kid. And he's like, yeah, but I don't care. Yeah. It's like, ooh, he doesn't want to see any humanity in the bureaucrats because he probably shares Itakura's view on that. Wada learns that Shirai was instrumental in killing Nishi's father. Then he's like, oh, wait, this is what they were going to do to me. That's so horrifying. But then, like, a minute later, he's like, oh, don't kill him. I forgive him. And he's like, you forgive him, bitch. <laughs> he's like, you really forgive him? He would have forced you to kill yourself. And you're going to forgive him for that? Yeah, and he was like, but he has a family. And then Nishu was like, but you have a family. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very good. It is literally just a five-minute sequence of people just one-offing each other, which I love. And finally, he's like, all right, you know what? If you're not going to let me throw you out the window, and if you're not going to throw yourself out the window, he pours a shot of whiskey, and he's like, here, it's poisoned whiskey. It's far more than you deserve. Either drink it, or I'll throw you out the window. <laughs> and then finally, Shirai just, you know, refuses to do either. So he shoves the whiskey shot down his throat, and Shirai collapses. He goes so stiff. It's like instant rigor mortis. I was like, you mean to tell me that that poison killed him instantly? <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's some good poison, Dan. Yeah, I was like, that must be the most potent poison ever, but then, <laughs> unless Nishi immediately takes a huge swig out of it after the guy collapses and Wada's freaking out, and he's like, it's not poison, I, he's just going into shock because he was so convinced that he was gonna die. It's just whiskey and this guy's an idiot. And he just shines a flashlight in his eyes and you see his pupils kind of dilate a little bit and he's like, alright, we're just gonna leave him here and this'll send a message. This is one of several scenes that remind me of the housemate. <laughs> Came out the same year. The idea was to get the news to report on it to make a big scandal, but the story was suppressed because obviously the bureaucrats are in control of the media and if they can get ahead of a story, they can just shut it down. Hunter Biden Burisma. They Hunter Biden to Shirai. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so they wind up just getting this guy sent to some kind of psych ward because he's become a paranoid schizophrenic because of how bad Wada and Nishi have been messing with them. Yeah, the only thing you can say is, Furia, please forgive me. Nishi in the next scene is like, damn it, I should have thrown him out the window. They yeah. wouldn't have been able to cover that up. <laughs> that would have been a scandal. That would have really gotten them. It's so funny. Nishi's like, I've gotten soft in my years. And I was just like, man, I'm remembering the good old early scandals where it was just two unmarried people had sex on vacation. Yeah. And then now we got the potential scandal of throwing dudes out the windows and poisoning them with fake whiskey. Yeah, throwing him out the window would have been the better version of the scandal, but he regrets not doing it. <laughs> I think the scene Itakura is like, oh, maybe you've gone soft because you love your wife. He's like, ah, how dare you? <laughs> that becomes a big thing because Nishi kind of elaborates like, yeah, I accidentally fell in love with a woman I married explicitly so I could kill her father. <laughs> I wish they showed a little bit more of that. I wish that they had just, like, an extra scene or two. With everything in this movie, I wish there was a little bit more of just him at home to show, like, he actually did love his wife. Because they sleep in separate rooms. He doesn't really interact with her that much. He seems kind of cold to her. So it's a little bit of a surprise at first when he's like, damn, I love her. But they try and shorthand it in the one scene with Tatsuo, her brother. Where he's like, it really seems like you don't love your wife. And then she like, hears the story uh, with the bike and she cries and drops the glass. Nishi runs in and is like, oh my god, are you okay? And he picks her up and it makes the brother really happy. Because he's like, oh, he does love my sister. And then like, he clearly wants to kiss her there and then doesn't. Which prompted me to think like, like, damn dude, just kiss your wife. Like, it's fine. I know you're going to kill her father, but come on. Another movie of Mifune's unconsummated love, like The Quiet Duel. Mifune, once again, is not allowed to fuck. But this time it's because he has murder on the mind, not because he has syphilis. Kurosawa loves putting this man in a position where he doesn't fuck due to honor. Yeah, he loves blue-balling Mifune. <laughs> because of the way that scene played out, I interpreted it that he was doing it performatively to get Tatsuo off his back, not because he actually cared about her. I thought that too, but the kiss thing happened when he leaves, which is what's weird. And I, that's when I realized, oh, it's because he's going to kill her father and he feels bad about it, which is what he reveals in that scene. With a little bit more, could have been a little bit more clear and sell it a little bit better. But I do think that at the end of the movie, they do really show that they care about each other. Itakura, he says, love your wife. Why don't you go home and have sex with her tonight? <laughs> and then that, that leads us into this crazy sequence of events. Moriyama, the last person on Earth, finally draws the conclusion, yeah, maybe this does have something to do with Furuya, and they have to track down his lineage a little bit. There isn't much with him. I believe that Furuya had married twice and, like, was widowed or something, so they had to hunt down the only person left that had any relationship to him, which is Nishi's stepmother, not even his real mother. That really doesn't give any leads because the child was illegitimate. Nishi says that every time his father came over, he claimed to be his uncle. There really was no knowledge that this kid existed. Nishi was so mad about that, and then after he died, all that anger was pointed in a different direction because now he never got the chance to have a father figure as an adult. There's not a lot of evidence of him, but Moriyama is really sweet-talking this woman, and he gets her to pull out some funeral photos, and we can see this one kind of funny picture of Nishi at the back of a funeral procession, half-hiding behind a pole, looking concerned. And everything suddenly makes sense to him, and he realizes, oh my god, this is Furuya's son, he must be behind this. Yeah, Furuya's son is Nishi, which is now Iwabuchi's son. Oh shit, he's the one that's like blackmailing us and doing all this crazy shit. And he lives at the boss's house. Honestly, a sick reveal. So he goes and tells him, and Tatsuo overhears Moriyama tell Iwabuchi about this, and then right after he overhears that, 
because they're, they're like, we got to keep this under wraps. We can't let him know that we know. Nishi comes home with a bunch of flowers ready to go show his wife that he finally loves her. And <laughs> Tatsuo immediately just comes out with a gun and is like, hey, Itakura. The business guys are like, I can't believe that your dumb son just gave away our best strategic advantage. Yeah, Yoshiko tries to get in the way, then he runs. Nishi yeets out of there, and Tatsuo fires one shot through the window, and it doesn't hit him. Somehow, in between now and the next scene, Nishi manages to kidnap Moriyama. Yeah, I don't remember if there's like a wipe or anything, but there is a definite time jump because Nishi is missing. He and Itakura retreat to an abandoned arms factory that they used to work in that was destroyed in a bombing. They've managed to capture Moriyama and to keep him in this big vault and starve him into telling them where all his kickback money is. Moriyama has all the kickback money. He's clearly hidden it. They, like, trick him into revealing that he's the only one who knows where it is. And the reason they want this money is not to embezzle. They want to use it as evidence to reveal the crimes to everyone, which is why, like, they really want to know where this money is, and it's important that they find it. There's a really funny thing where they starve him for two days, they make eggs and ham on toast. And they're like, do you want this? He's like, yeah, I want it. And then he opens there, like, all right, that'll be 15 million yen. <laughs> <laughs> That's supply and demand right there. That's how much he wants it. The one thing that was kind of wild here is, like, the music in the background, which is, like, very cheeky Frank music as they trick Moriyama into revealing his secrets. It's a little, a little odd. Wada feels bad about all this, and this is when Wada sneaks off. Everyone's pissed about it because, you know, it seems like Wada betrayed them. But actually what Wada went to go do was to get Yoshiko and bring her there to confront Nishi and talk about what happened. Wada is not a very active character. He's very insubordinate, and then he makes, like, the single boldest move in the entire movie. It's the only bold thing he's ever done in his entire life, and it's really bold. And ultimately, it will lead to downfall. It is like the first domino knockdown that will eventually cause Nishi to die. Husband and wife finally talk, and he's like, Hey, I know how good your dad is to you, but he literally had my father kill himself, and all these other people also killed himself, and he's stolen billions of yen from the public, and that is the worst crime of all, to steal from the people. Yeah, that's what Kurosawa thinks what i think <laughs> apparently she knows most of it as she goes into the scene from wada and the very first thing she says is oh, wada told me everything about the dad and my dad and uh i'm just so happy <laughs> she's happy because she learns that he loves her i think because wada knows that he's fallen in love with her wild opening to that scene <laughs> this is when we get the extended nishi backstory which is uh adding more moral complications we learn oh my father also married someone that he didn't love because he needed to do it to advance his goals but also it seemed like he didn't love me. But then I learned that the day before he was going to die, he came to me to try and make amends and I stormed him off, which is like a very Tokyo story, like missing out on your last chance with your parents thing. It's very sweet. I actually cried during the scene. She like doesn't want to believe that her father is so evil, but you know, it's kind of coming around to the idea at this point. There is that one scene that you wouldn't really ever expect to see in something like this, where Iwabuchi is cooking dinner for his children. One of the top men in this company, and he doesn't even have a cook, he is doing it himself. It is like a fatherly touch. It is a very complicated thing. He's asserting bureaucrats aren't human, but we do see a human side to them, but also that this man isn't phased by some of the bad things that he does. So he isn't fully human, but there is something there, and it's, I don't know, it's interesting. It's stuff to mine. I really like what they do, because they said Amaba's actually a good father, and I think he really is. Except, when him being a good father comes into conflict with his business interests, you see which one takes precedence. There's like this weird thing where Iwabuchi's on the phone saying, Yeah, I really don't sleep well, but I would love to take some drugs to make it better. Oh, you're the, thank you for sending them to me with the dosage and everything. I'll be sure to take these drugs and fall asleep. Ah, uh, bye. 
and so weird because I thought that they were having him kill himself. I also I also thought that. I thought that the executives were sending him stuff being like, all right, dude, we having all these scandals. You clearly don't have a hold on it. So uh, time to kill yourself. He has multiple scenes of him meeting with different corporate executives and everything, and they discuss their plots. And we don't even hear the other side of the phone conversation. I assumed that that's what it was. So I was even more shocked when he makes Yoshiko drink it. I did assume that he was going to kill himself until you see him put not very much in. Then I'm like, oh, maybe it really is just sleeping pills. Which it is. Yeah. <laughs> We're so used to thinking that they're talking in subtext, and then for once they aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just text. Oh, thank you for these wink drugs so I can wink sleep well. <laughs> Literally, like, it comes across like that in the conversation. And then it really just is sleeping drugs, and he puts them in his little shot of brandy. It goes to show, the worse you are, the worse you sleep. Yeah, exactly. That's what it should have been called. <laughs> He is interrupted from taking this in, like, the middle of the day. I guess he wanted to go sleep in the middle of the day when his daughter comes home. Yoshiko, like, stumbles in from a taxi, and he's like, oh, my God, where have you been? Have you been to see Nishi? She, like, tries to, like, avoid him and avoid it. And there's this super crazy thing where he learns that Tatsuo has gone out with his gun to go hunting. And it's, like, pretty obvious that he's just going hunting. But he uses this information, which has, like, a kernel of truth, and twists it into saying... Oh my god, Yoshiko, Tetsuo's gonna go out and kill Ishii. You led him there, and he's gonna kill him, and you, you gotta stop this. And he's, like, manipulating his daughter, like, in a really, really gross way. Yeah, he must have tailed you. It's a great scene. It's really good, but it's so fucked up. This is more gaslighting than Ishii does to Shirai. Yeah, Shirai literally died from his gaslighting, and this is somehow more awful. And he's like, oh, just drink this wine, like, you're, you're freaking out. We'll go together, don't worry. And then she starts to fall asleep from the sleeping pills. He's like, you know, I'll just go myself. You just gotta tell me where it is. It's so fucked up. I was furious. I was like, come on, you just learned how bad he is. Like, how can you fall for this? But it makes sense. It is implied that people really don't like to learn that someone they know is corrupt. And yeah, it leads to the ending, which is complicated. Everything that happens, happens off screen and is reenacted by Itakura later, which is... I'm of mixed opinions about it, because on one hand, it kind of sucks to just not see the character at the end of his story. It's a bold ending. We can kind of skip ahead to just talk about that real quick, because it is, I mean, this film is a tragedy, and he does not win at the end. He is murdered in the same way that a lot of these other people are. He doesn't succeed. Bad continues to reign, which I think is part of his commentary about society and about corporations and stuff. He'd probably feel dishonest if he made the good people come out on top, because that's not what happens. Itakura's reenactment of the scene is really cool, although it is a bit overdramatic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hammy. It's hammy, but it is like the explosive conclusion without actually seeing the explosive conclusion. Yeah, it's a conclusion all in the form of a monologue. In like an improv rehearsal. We wake up on Yoshiko, Tatsuo comes home and is like, hey, what's up? And she's like, wait, did you go kill Nishi? He's like, no, what are you talking about? She's like, you didn't see dad? You don't know where Nishi is? You don't know anything? He's like, no. And then she realizes that her father's going to go kill Nishi. That's when they rush back and that's when we have this whole scene. It's so weird the way they do it that I thought it didn't happen. Whoever did the thing, they got there, they took Nishi, they injected him with grain alcohol to make him extremely drunk, to like raise his ABV significantly all at once. Then they put him in a car and shoved him in front of the train tracks, so he would just get totally flattened. With Wada, too. Both of them were killed in that. At the very end, we see the wreckage of the car, and there's two big blood splatters on the seats, which is cool because we don't see a whole lot of blood in all these movies, either. That's a, a very grisly image from Kurosawa that he doesn't really replicate too often. I mean, he really wants to drive it home. 
corporations are evil and corruption is extremely bad. And he's right to say it. Yeah. <laughs> he's freaking out. He's like, all this happened. They killed my friend. They've been so evil and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just completely alone. All of the evidence has been destroyed. I have it all in my head, but there's nothing physical that he could use to show the law enforcement or the press or anything. He just has to live knowing that they did all of this and there's nothing he can do about it. And it's a really brutal ending. And then the epilogue is brutal, too, in a different way. <laughs> Nishi called a press conference because he was going to announce all of the corruption and then now, all of a sudden, Iwabuchi is hijacking this conference, being like, Oh, I had him uh, make it for me, and uh, he died. How tragic. Uh, I'm very upset till I've lost my son-in-law. And he retires to his office after meeting with the press, and his children come in and are like, We know what you did. We hate you. Disown us. We want absolutely nothing to do with you. Look, Yoshiko's dead, and I'm weakened at burning her into the scene. Yeah, she is literally shocked into barely able to keep it together. I mean, her husband was just murdered. In the end, he gets comeuppance because his children, who he actually loves, more or less, disown him. He doesn't chase them because all of a sudden, the phone rings. It literally becomes duty over family. And you know what he picks every time. He didn't ignore it. He chose the business, and they're like, hey, I think you should take some time off and go abroad. And he's like, that sounds like a great idea. Just what I was thinking. And then it just closes out and it splatters the bloody title card. The bad sleep well. The end. The last line he says is, yeah, I really didn't sleep well last night. And then it, and then it <laughs> Like, here's how you son of a bitch. But yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked it. I liked it far more than I was expecting for one of them that, like, has no reputation. Opposed to, like, you know, your Jimbo, the Hidden Fortress, have heard of all those. Never heard of the bad sleep well. Same for me. I didn't remember liking it as much as I did. I thought it was really cool. I think it was pretty well shot, too. I think that, you know, with Kurosawa Productions still in widescreen, as all these other films are going to be, still doing a lot and doing new stuff. It's amazing for, like, his own independent production company to have all this stuff, like the broken down mill set and all. And it's impressive. Yeah, it looks really cool. And, folks, it's happened again. We chose the exact same frame. Despite the fact that it is shot well, there's, like, a couple, like, very obvious, like, oh, this frame is set up in such a way to reveal something about the characters. And we both picked the exact same one, the emotionally impactful scene between Nishi and his wife Yoshiko, where they start on opposite sides of the frame and there's this big dividing like column in between them. Yeah, it's kind of like a really long bench. And because the shot has so much depth to it, it makes its way almost entirely up the frame. So it works as a dividing line that isn't actually dividing them. Like laterally, it's dividing them horizontally, which is different than usual, but it's such a cool location and everything too. And I like how it shows them both on opposite sides. They start on opposite sides and like a really long uh, scene and take all in one shot. They like, I think, cross over or whatever and they kiss over the barrier and then sit down on it because she can't really stand and it's really beautifully done. Yeah, I think it's very symbolic and I think very emblematic of a lot of this movie. There's a lot of really long takes. As I said before, there's one entire Every Frame of Painting episode about just one scene that's entirely one shot and the different way that it's blocked and everything that he accomplishes through it. He doesn't need all this coverage. It really allows you to keep moving your eyes to see how different people react to different things because there's so much paranoia in this movie that it's important to keep tabs on how everyone is feeling in every individual moment as all these different steps of this elaborate revenge plot come to fruition. Good shot. Good scene. Good movie. Time for our two numbers. Folks, to Shumafude Hotness Scale.
I, behind the curtain, can see what's written in the doc. And you originally had 9.8, and then you lowered it to 9.7. <laughs> well, guess what, bitch? My answer's 9.8. I thought he actually looked very good. Not as good as the Hidden Fortress. I think the clean-shaven look is kind of weird on him, but I think he somehow pulls it off and looks very good in this movie. So 9.8. I don't have too many thoughts on it. He's a stout businessman. Look good. A little thick. I will reserve my tens for his period pieces because I do think that is where he winds up looking his absolute best. So I'll hit him with the 9.7. It's wonderful. Fair, fair. 9.8 for me. Similarly, you can say your score. So for me, I'm going to wind up giving Bad Sleep Well an 8 out of 10, 4 out of 5. I think the film is largely successful. I think it stumbles in places that could have been smoothed out or made a little bit more clear or maybe just tightened a little bit more because the film can be a little hard to keep track of at times. Although I do think that the engagement I feel with it ramps up as the movie goes on because I was kind of having trouble with it at first. But by the end, I was like totally following like I know what everyone's doing. I like all of this. I am of mixed opinions on certain things like the very, very end of it with such a downtrodden ending, although I think it works there is still an element that feels a little, like, Tam would have at least liked to see something, but I don't know. It's tough, it's complicated. I think it's a really good Kurosawa movie, and I think uh, pretty emblematic of the fact that he's consistently making high-rated, solid entertainment. Of all of his message movies, this is the best that we've got, and yeah, so 8 out of 10. So, uh, similar to the Mufune Hatna scale, I'll give it a little bit better than that. I do think it's a 9 for me which is also four and a half out of five and nine can be four out of four, but I would give this a three and a half out of four because it's like a very soft nine for me. I thought it was just a little bit too good to only be a four star movie. There's really so much in this movie that I really, really liked. But then at the same time, there is like a good amount of stuff that I was like, oh, that's weird or unusual or I don't know if that really worked, but I still, you know, I liked it a lot. I thought it was very impressive. So nine out of 10. I think it's a very confidently made film and a really good start of Kurosawa Productions. And again, another really strong illusion versus reality film with the press conferences versus the truth behind all these deaths and everything. I am excited for the future of Kurosawa Productions because I think the next four weeks are my very favorite sub-era of Kurosawa movies. Next up, we're hitting Yojimbo, The Bodyguard. Uh, the most unintentionally funny named film ever. <laughs> we're watching Jimmy Neutron. A film name that had no idea in 2020 would be extremely funny to say. Yo Jimbo, what's bobbin? It's so good. I'm so excited to, to rewatch it. There's a lot of, I think, the best of the best coming in these next couple weeks, and I'm really excited to go through it with you and with the singular listener. And with you, listener. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening.